Uh. All right. The story is you and your friends went out at night on your bikes to visit your dying mother, and then another bunch of other biker hooligans called the clowns attacked you. They hurt your friend, you lost your temper, and that's why eight of these clowns are all now in the hospital. And that is the truth. Uh. school anymore. Now you're king of the mountain, aren't you? But it's all garbage! Near Tokyo is going to change soon. We aren't the ones who will change it. Wait for the wind called Akira. You've got to return to the laboratory! This had told me! It's my brain! What have you done? That which is called science promotes that which is called civilization devastates the spirit of man! You changed my friend, didn't you? Your friend has made his choice. We have every indication that Akira is about to manifest itself. The moment of Lord Akira's awakening is drawing closer. The time of atonement is upon us. Are your hearts prepared? The time is nigh! God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 314, Akira. And this is listener request number 37. In a row? Courtesy of Theodore. So this is not only a listener request, this is a big first for us. I believe our first animated film right you gotta love about these listener requests they're always giving us things that are right smack dab in the middle of our area of expertise (laughs) i mean they do challenge us i will say sure yeah right yeah this one i guess we should preface by saying we don't really know anything about animated films anime this world so this is all new to us we're coming at it as 
first-timers, so we'll see how that goes. This, amongst many other animated films that are constantly popping up on lists of movies that inspired certain directors or inspired other like big productions, it's popped up throughout my life. I've never really pursued watching any of them. <laughs> it's just... Never really <laughs> felt like it was for me, but I think I'm a changed man now. I'm, I'm ready to dig in. So Akira is our first animated film. You may have noticed that there was an English trailer for the opening clip. Mm. There are several different versions of this film. We'll talk about that more in a bit. I'm not 100% sure yet what I'm going to do when it comes to the clips. Okay. So there maybe there'll be clips throughout this episode. Maybe there won't. I don't know. We'll yeah. see. It's kind of fun when you jump on Hulu and it, you search Akira. Okay, which option do you want? Subbed or dubbed? Well, I think we can just call it Akira or Akira. It I was, really matter. I was calling it Akira before. I don't really feel like anybody in the movie says it that way. Well, at least in the subbed version. I We're think good. for English speakers, Akira or Akira, either one. All right. All right. So we'll do our best. This is a run of listener requests coming up in a row, so we're finally getting to that. we got a lot to work through. So this is a big day. Let's get into it. Follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod, and you can also email us, GreatestPod at gmail.com. And I would like to give a shout-out to Eric for emailing a spreadsheet with all of our episodes on it, which was very cool. And had like color coded and all organized and yeah, that's awesome. It was a whole unique project. I'd like to get a look. No, the okay. scheduling specifics <laughs> coming up. This episode, I'm gonna turn around and try to edit this as fast as possible. It may go out the usual night. Doesn't seem like I'm gonna get it out any earlier than that. But likely gonna have another episode this week coming up. And then next week's episode might come a day later than usual to accommodate all of these episodes being jammed in. But we're going to have three episodes over the course of the next week or so from now until the middle of next week. So get ready. Hold on to your butts. A lot is happening. If you would like to have your own listener request, please reach out. Greatestpod at gmail.com or at greatestpod on Twitter. They do cost some money, but we will negotiate with you. 50 bucks up to two hours and 10 minutes. So there's a good jumping off point. Yeah, go listen to the master episode if you want the full State of the Union on it. Sure. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And please make sure you're subscribed to the show so that you never miss any of these new episodes dropping on all days of the week or whenever we put them out. Plus all the important updates you get during this segment. And finally, find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby on there. Akira1988, directed by Katsuhira Otamo, screenplay by Otama and Izo Hashimoto, based on Otamo's 1982 manga of the same name. This kind of seemed vaguely like a Game of Thrones type situation, where the manga ran... I believe up until 1990 or something like that. Mm. So it actually went past when this movie came out and was not finished yet. Oh boy, I wonder if there's a divide amongst the hardcore fan base. I'm sure there's probably differing opinions, yeah. but I, I do think that there's some differences. I'm not really sure about all of that. Believe it or not, I, I didn't really have time to research the actual manga too much. I don't believe it. 
<laughs> the box office for the film, this is all sort of guesstimating, estimating, because this movie had a lot of releases all over yeah. the world at different times. Well, but I, th- it, it I seems the Wikipedia had the budget listed in one currency and the box office in another. Well, the budget is sort of yeah, yeah. hard to pin down because gotcha. there were rumors that it was like, one amount that it was as much as like 10 million but it's, most things now seem to say it was probably around 5.5 million for the budget mm-hmm. the box office was 49 million but it would go on to make an additional 80 million in worldwide home video sales became a huge cult film all over the world and if you would like to check it out as matt was mentioning it is available on hulu you have the Japanese audio with English subtitles, which was the original way to do it. But then it also has the English dubbed version. And I believe they are using the second one, the 2001 Mm. Pioneer anime's English dub, which everyone agrees is much better than the original streamlined English dub from 1991. A multiple dubbed situation. Yes. I would imagine they're using the 2001 Mm -hmm. version. Because I did watch both versions on Hulu, and I have to say, I felt like they were pretty close to the same thing. Okay. I just watched the dubbed. (laughs) I figured you would. I do want to push people more to the subtitled one. Dubbed movies are kind of beneath us. I did agonize over it for a minute. (laughs) They're beneath us, but except for Matt. (laughs) There was a brief period where I struggled with my decision, and ultimately I felt like dubbed was the way I needed to go. It probably helped you understand the film a little yeah. bit better. Akira was released in Japan on July 16th, 1988 by Toho. It was released the following year in the United States by Streamline Pictures. It garnered an international cult following after various theatrical and VHS releases, eventually earning over $80 million worldwide in home video sales. It has been cited as a masterpiece and is widely regarded by audiences and critics as one of the greatest films ever made, especially in the field of animation and in the action and science fiction genres. It is regarded as a landmark in Japanese animation, widely considered one of the most influential and iconic anime films ever made. It is also a pivotal film in the cyberpunk genre, particularly the Japanese cyberpunk subgenre as well as adult animation. The film had a significant impact on popular culture worldwide, paving the way for the growth of anime and Japanese popular culture in the Western world, as well as influencing numerous works in animation, comics, film, music, television, and video games. An iconic motorcycle maneuver from the film, known as the Akira Slide, has been widely referenced and homaged in many works of animation, film, and television. We'll get into that more in a bit i'm interested i think one of the big things with akira is context Mm -hmm. when did this film come out what was the animation scene film scene foreign film scene like in 1988 how did it change because now i think most of the western world is pretty accustomed to seeing more adult oriented animation anime yeah part of it but also beyond it Growing up, though, I was definitely accustomed to the higher percentage of animated material out there being targeted towards kids. That was still very much a part of my life. Right, and I think before this time period, it was almost 100%. Yeah, yeah. 
And then this sort of started to change the game, change people's minds. Obviously, with the advent of the internet and different things like that, this cross-cultural stuff would permeate different cultures quicker and faster and get out there and move on. But you have to remember, at a certain point, a lot of the stuff that was popular in one region, one area of the world, would be kind of contained without people taking it from there and bringing it somewhere else Mm. almost physically. Right. Because there really wasn't as much crossover because it was just harder it was harder to do and you needed things like films or specific shows or specific music or whatever to really break through and be brought over and so akira is one of those examples where it ends up having a huge release in the sense that over the course of about i don't know three or four years maybe it ends up being translated and subtitled for all different areas of the world and it becomes this huge thing i think the first i ever saw an adult oriented animated movie was those heavy metal movies right i just saw them on like stars or whatever otomo wanted to retain creative control over his baby and so he did and the claim is that he filled 2,000 pages of notebooks containing various ideas and character designs for the film But the final storyboard ends up being trimmed down to a somewhat more manageable 738 pages, which is still pretty wild. But I think the thing that jumps out to somebody who's new to the whole thing is you can see the through lines. You can see the influence, not only in other films or other things of that nature, but just sort of this cyberpunk aesthetic. Definitely. There's so much contained within this film that works its way into people's personal identities, personal styles, personal choices. And it goes beyond the story itself, which is also pretty cool and incredible, but it really is just this vibe that people really dug. Something that jumped out to me, and maybe this comes out a little bit more in that whole motorcycle sequence being something that was referenced endlessly following the movie, very cinematic. There's parts that it's animated in a way as if it's from a, a camera view. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? And that really jumped out to me, and I thought that was cool. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes down to having the the bigger budget, and the work that was put into this film was really incredible, and they really spared no expense. Mm. I always think it's cool when, in animation, it's almost like you have a giant drawing of a city, and you're panning over it, as if you're in a helicopter or yeah. something. And is so the drawing seems like it's so huge and you're just like moving across it or something like that, as if it's a real place. Yeah, just this vast, endless area. The Akira Committee was the name given to a partnership of several major Japanese entertainment companies brought together to realize production of an Akira film. The group's assembly was necessitated by the unconventionally high budget intended to achieve the desired epic standard equal to Otomo's over 2,000-page manga tale. The committee consisted of Kodansha, Manichi, Broadcasting System, Bandai, Hakundoho, Toho, Laserdisc Corporation, and Sumitomo Corporation, who all forwarded money and promotion towards the film. Now, in case you haven't figured it out, this is probably going to be a disaster as far as me <laughs> pronouncing names. <laughs> All kinds of shit. I, I had but to, I'm going to try my best. Yeah. I have to keep my 
phone handy just to remember that I'm calling which characters by the right names. Well, that would be a first. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> that, that has nothing to do with it being Japanese yeah. or animated. That's just you. <laughs> Seven years in, and I'm finally giving that a shot. <laughs> Maybe you could try to write some stuff down. No. Yeah. <laughs> Akira is endlessly influential across all forms of media and led the way for growth and popularity of, of anime outside of Japan, breaking the genre into the mainstream for Western audiences. The film takes place in the futuristic year of 2019. There has been a third world war triggered by the sudden destruction of Tokyo on July 16th, 1988. Yeah, sort of an ominous opening. Neo-Tokyo has become a city plagued by corruption, anti-government protests, terrorism, and gang violence. I wasn't expecting Neo-Tokyo to be as in good of shape and as developed as it was following this. I guess it's, what is it, 20 or 30 years later? Well, it takes place in 2019, so 19 plus 12. Okay. <laughs> There's your math. That number. <laughs> so I guess a lot of time has passed. Since, 31 years. But I don't know. Everything seems like well intact, other than explosions are going off all the time. <laughs> Definitely doesn't seem particularly stable. I know from decades of watching... Blade Runner, there's always that weird longing you feel to be a part of a world like that. I it know. seems more fun and interesting. But the truth of it is... Scary as well. Yeah, it seems endlessly dangerous, and you take for granted the relative safety that we live in day to day. This world, it seems devoid of any real authority, but also at the same time, there's almost like a permanent threat of potential fascism like on a lower level you can yeah. basically do whatever you want but then at the same time the government seems like they could just kill you right <laughs> you kind of can but so can everyone else which is not a great situation to you're be basically in. living in the purge okay yeah. <laughs> non-stop well, it's the warriors-esque at times with these gangs this clown gang we open on a mushroom cloud and then jump ahead and you realize pretty quickly it's all done on a pretty massive scale, which we were kind of touching on a little bit with appreciating how some of the art is done. But it's all wonderfully designed and realized neon urban decay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like a neon urban decay. There you go. It's a weird cross. And there there in, your, in the middle is where you'll find your cyberpunk joy. It has <laughs> to be futuristic but also post-apocalyptic. Right. A lot of cool colors, more colors used in this than your typical animation because a lot of it is set at night, which makes it more difficult to animate and to color things. So they're really going all out. A lot of intricate details. The animation looks really cool. And the whole world that you're plunged into is very imagination tingling. Definitely. I would say. Even though it's dark, there's still a lot of vibrant colors in it. Well, yeah, they had to use way more colors than you would normally use. They had to use all kinds of different shades and stuff. And mm -hmm. I think that all of those small details, whether it's a particular shade of red or orange or whatever, or here's some weird thing going on in the background of this scene, or here's how this light looks coming out of these windows, those are the things that really stick in your viewer's mind and then inspire them to make something like Akira or any one of these types of movies, whether it's Blade Runner or whatever, 
a part of their life and personality and yeah. their whole vibe. It goes beyond just appreciating a film. It becomes you want to dress like the characters. You probably want a cool red motorcycle like the characters. Mm-hmm. And then you want to be some kind of a computer hacker or some kind of a thing. Whatever you're, In 1988, when oh, yeah. you're trying to rack your brain, like what is something I can do that approximates this world that these characters are living in? Right. Akira is primarily focused on two friends. Shatiro Kanada, mm-hmm. voiced by Mitsuo Iwata, and Tetsuo Shima, voiced by Nazumo Sasaki. The names of those two characters, too, of which one they go by. Well, there's Canada and Tetsuo. Right, I know, but isn't one really referred to by the second name and the other one always referred to by the first name? You've never had friends who go by their last names? Yeah, I was one of them, really. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Well, then what the fuck are you talking about? I don't know. <laughs> Canada is a hot-headed leader of a vigilante motorcycle gang called the Capsules. Has a big red leather jacket with a capsule pill on the back. I was trying to figure out what exactly their vigilantism is. Yeah, well, who knows? I know. <laughs> a lot of this stuff is probably better established in the manga. I'm sure, yeah. You're really condensing almost a decade's worth of work into a two-hour movie. Mm-hmm. So I think some of that stuff gets left out into the cold. Okay. And Canada has an iconic futuristic red motorcycle. Definitely. And it's one of those things that you have to have. You have to have impossibly cool toys in these dystopian, post-apocalyptic future worlds. That's a given. That's the only way people are going to like your thing. Yeah, otherwise You have to have the cool toys. Out. <laughs> During a violent rally in the city, Canada leads the capsules up against the rival clown gang. The ass clown gang. <laughs> yeah, that's us. Yeah. We make our way into the film pretty early. <laughs> Defeated pretty easily. <laughs> the shot of Canada's bike sliding to stop away from the camera in the opening bike chase sequence is considered to be the most referenced shot in animation. Homages appear in such shows as Teen Titans, Jendi. Tartagovsky, Star Wars, Clone Wars, Samurai Jack, Batman, the animated series, mm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Adventure Time, The Simpsons, and even Pokemon. Folks, I'm going to tell you right up, way more than that. Did That's you... a sliver of the list of things that I don't you think can find. I recognized it from any of those things that you just listed. Well, if you're not big into animation, yeah, yeah. you're not going to necessarily pick up on this stuff. Right. But... You have to also think of it as with anything else, whether you're talking about film or anything else in the world, there always has to be a first. So a lot of the shit that happens in this movie, you take for granted, even though it's replicated in other cartoons that you may have watched five, six, seven, eight years later. Totally. But you just didn't realize that before this, it didn't right. really exist. And then they all start borrowing from each other and homaging and homaging, <laughs> homaging up a storm. <laughs> It's as iconic as it gets in anime, and throughout this opening chase sequence and then this little bit of a battle between the two gangs, there's all these different colors at night, and it looks really cool. And as two people who don't necessarily fuck with anime and animation all that often or know anything about it, 
I would say that the one thing that I can take away is that animation can be and should be used to enhance what we're seeing and expand upon what is possible. Mm. You don't want it to just be straight up realistic exactly how it would be because then you're kind of like, why not just have actors do this? But you add these little details and the shots of the motorcycles going through the night with the red trail behind them. Oh, yeah. Which is supposed to be like their light, their rear lights and all that stuff. It looks really cool, and it's all very inventive and interesting looking, and it wouldn't exactly look like that if those were real motorcycles and real people. And so you enhance it. You enhance what you're seeing with these little details, not all of which are necessarily possible in real life, but that's the joy of it being animated. It's like you can Absolutely. make it a little cooler than it would look. And I was happy to be immersed in that and soaking it all up because I really didn't know what these guys were fighting about. Uh, yeah. You know? Look, from a layman's perspective, there's a lot that you don't know. Yeah, yeah. I would say that, and I'm pretty sure I made a note of this somewhere, but I'll just say it now. Watching it a second time was crucial in terms of understanding Mm -hmm. what was happening, understanding the characters a little bit more. Because the first time, you're kind of like, what the fuck is going on? It is almost nonstop action. I did walk away from it feeling like I would be rewarded by multiple viewings. Yeah, because you're you're spending so much time trying to get your sense of place that mm-hmm. it's overwhelming. There's weird characters, weird things happening. A lot of people seem to have plans. None of the plans seem to be working. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that even multiple viewings didn't really explain for me was who are the good guys and yeah. bad guys sometimes. <laughs> Some of the characters I can't really tell. I know. Everyone seems to have their own motives. Their own agenda. But I guess also that's part of what's interesting. Like, yeah, yeah. Shikishima is this general guy, and he seems kind of good, but also kind of bad. Agree. But I think the answer is that he's not really good or bad. He right. is an army general, and he's doing what he would do. Mm-hmm. The end. <laughs> there really isn't that much thought as to, like, should we cheer for this guy or yeah, not? Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, unbeknownst to Kanada and Tetsuo, an Esper escapes from a government laboratory with the aid of a resistance organization. This is one of the key things to understanding this film. There's these three people. They're children, basically. Espers. They're blue. They look blue. I wrote zombie children. Yeah. They also really reminded me a little bit of those deals, the precogs from Minority Report. Uh They are the result of some government experiments. We'll sort of get into that more later. But I had a little bit of season one of Stranger Things vibes going on. I don't know. Tetsu, 11. Yeah, it kind of seems like... A little bit, yeah. yeah. Especially maybe Stranger Things Season 4. Okay. Where you have like the evil one. Yeah, yeah. And that's like what you can sort of become. Think of it as like extrasensory perception is where that comes from. And Esper would have that, uh-huh. like ESP. But these little guys, their powers are almost hard to even track exactly what all they all are. They have like some precog ability, but they can also fly and I was destroy thinking, things like, um, and Jean Grey. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah. Miniature Jean Greys. I wrote down endless power. Now yeah. that's not exactly true because we're gonna end up coming across some other people who actually have endless power and these three guys don't really but they have a lot. <laughs> totally. Endless is maybe not the right word, but undefined powers. It's like a little bit of this, a lot of that some of that. Lots of different things yeah. are possible. They are not to be trifled with, though. That is clear. And this is an adult cartoon. Mm-hmm. The level of violence is one of the things that I think really makes this stand apart. And I don't really think it can be discounted 
in terms of its impact on the film's popularity and cult following. Because again, there wasn't a lot of shit like this with a really intricate, detailed, hard sci-fi background, cyberpunk, futuristic, but then also like a lot of blood right, and weird violence and weird shit in it. A little bit of a no-holds-barred feel. It's not quite like Antichrist or some Lars von Trier movie, but it is. you don't feel like, oh, this is limited. Well, they're not going to show that. They're not holding back. Right, exactly. Tetsuo inadvertently crashes his motorcycle into a little guy called Takashi. Yeah. He is the escaped Esper, and that's when shit gets started. It feels like what you're seeing is a force field around Takashi. Yeah. Because he's walking away unscathed. Meanwhile, Tetsuo has crashed his motorcycle. He's like laying there in the street. Destruction happening everywhere. I'm not really sure what happens here. Same. It seems like a force field situation, but I don't really know. For people who are experts on the Akira lore Mm -hmm. and who have read the fucking manga and know all this shit, I'm sure this is more straightforward. But just coming at it with virgin eyes. With nothing? Now I was having a difficult time getting my bearings right here this is very much up for interpretation yeah now sometimes you read it as takashi gives power to tetsuo or it just sort of rubs off of him sometimes it's more it just is awakened there's a rub later in the film it seems as if kyoko is saying that it's in all of us anyway and that this is just an awakening and so it's not really dependent on this crash happening but Mm -hmm. i don't know Tetsuo is injured, though. He's fucked up. Assisted by another esper named Masaru, Japan Self-Defense Forces Colonel Shikishima recaptures Takashi, has Tetsuo hospitalized, and arrests the rest of the capsules just for being there. I know. Some street thugs. Okay, what are these blue children doing to help? (laughs) What's going on? Really? This is why it makes sense to watch it a second time. I will say, it is one of those things that as you move along... You're starting to understand it. Well, a lot of movies are set up differently, where they basically start you out and give you time to introduce you to things. Yes. Setting, characters, it's all laid out before you start into a story, but this is really, you're plunged into it. Something that's... You don't know who the fuck these kids are right. that are blue, and then all of a sudden they're involved with something, there's a crash, and you're like, what the fuck is going it's on? It's all very chaotic. Yeah, like I said, I think a second viewing, once you have your Mm -hmm. bearings and you're kind of like, okay, these are the espers, we know what they do, it helps solidify the whole thing. Yep. While being interrogated by the police, Kanada spots Kay, a cute girl who also happens to be an activist within the resistance movement, and so he tricks the authorities into releasing her with the rest of the gang when they realize the capsules are too small time to know anything about escaped espers or any of this shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, this is maybe a little bit of a deep cut. I'm sure some of our people are online. I, I say Masura, the one Esper, he reminds me of Hasbula, for people who are familiar with that gentleman. Okay. He's the little guy. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen him online. No. I don't know the little guy online. <laughs> he's involved with the UFC people, and he's sort of just like an internet phenomenon. He's like a full-grown adult, but he's like one of those guys that's really small. Okay. He looks like a little kid, but All he's right. like 20. Masura's got a little bit of a Hasbula vibe. Gotcha. I figured you wouldn't know who that was. <laughs> you don't know anything. So, just a quick aside. I'm assuming you know of something being in the news with Budweiser right now? Yeah. So, I was out with Lindsay, and 
there was like a cooler full of beers and a guy behind me is like, oh, looks like no one's buying the Bud Light. I was like, I don't know. It looks like there's some missing. And then I heard the bartender say that they weren't cold. So I turned to him and I'm like, oh, she just said that they weren't cold. So I'm I'm wondering if she just put them in there, like just not getting the fact that he was trying to joke about like... <laughs> There were reasons people weren't buying. And then Lindsay had to like pull me aside and explain it to me afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Just never aware of what's going on. Yeah. I'm sure Matt has made that abundantly clear to our <laughs> listeners many, many times. But until you actually interact with them, you don't know how terrible it really is. Yeah. <laughs> he is always looking at his phone. I don't know what he's looking at. If he doesn't know what's going on in the world, but yeah. he really doesn't have a fucking clue about it's anything. It's usually Wikipedia or ESPN, those two things. I wouldn't have even thought that. I would have thought yeah. like pictures of clowns or something. I don't sure. know. Like, that, well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> pictures of empty skies. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just going through the Rorschach exercise from the master. <laughs> oh, that's a pussy. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lady's pussy. <laughs> I'm surprised we didn't joke about that at all. The fact that he fucking says, that's a pussy. A lady's pussy. <laughs> one of the great lines. Oh, really? Oh, God. Akira was one of the first Japanese anime films to have the characters' voices recorded before they were animated. While this is the typical practice in U.S. animation, in Japan, the animation is generally produced first. Huh. That always seems like it would be a very delicate process. Computer-generated imagery was also used in the film created by High Tech Lab, Japan Incorporated, and the cooperative companies for the computer graphics, Somisho Electronic Systems Incorporated, and Wavefront Technologies, primarily to animate the pattern indicator used by Dr. Onishi, but it was additionally used to plot the paths of falling objects, model parallax effects on backgrounds, and tweak lighting and lens flares. Unlike its live-action predecessors, Akira also had the budget to show a fully realized futuristic Tokyo. I thought that was kind of cool, and I wanted to include it, even though I'm not a huge fan in general of CGI. And the part that they're referencing about Dr. Onishi's pattern indicator is kind of stupid. It's like, who gives a shit about this? Uh -huh. I think it kind of looks lame now because the CGI doesn't really hold up. But that other stuff I thought was pretty fascinating, to plot paths of falling objects and to do different models and the backgrounds and yeah. the tweak stuff. It really makes it look more advanced, I think, than typical 1988 animation. It's just so intricate. The movie consists of 2,212 shots and 160,000 single pictures, two to three times more than usual, using 327 different colors. Another record in animation film. Just seems like so much work. 50 of those colors which were created exclusively for the film interesting the reason for this statistic is that most of the movie takes place at night a setting that is traditionally avoided by animators because of the increased color requirements <laughs> now when you say you invented a new color uh -huh. i assume you're talking about a shade <laughs> i think so i think the, that's fair i love the thing of you can do anything with your imagination yeah. it's like okay well then create a new color in your head <laughs> Right. <laughs> Which you can't do because you're only basing it I, off of colors you have seen. Like, you can't. That's an impossible thing. I know. At some point, colors were just, hey, let's blend red and yellow and get orange. And then all of a sudden, like, computers came along and an infinite amount of possibilities. Here's 6,000 different oranges. Yeah. <laughs>
Akira is a massive manga published for nearly eight years, culminating two years after the release of this film. I think we've made our point, but it is overwhelming coming in with zero prior knowledge. And it does improve with multiple viewings because I think it's beneficial in terms of understanding everything contextually. At a secret government facility, Shikishima and his head of research, Dr. Onishi, discover that Tetsuo possesses powerful psychic abilities similar to Akira, the legendary esper responsible for Tokyo's 1988 destruction. Which that was like a reveal to me. I thought there really was a bomb. Right. Well, the whole thing is sort of an allegory. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know. Mm Mm-hmm. The computer sounds which can be heard during Tetsuo's body scan were taken from the mother computer in Alien. So there you go. Oh, there you go. Pretty early on, there's a connection established between whatever Akira actually is, because at this point we don't really know or understand that yet, and Tetsuo. We're seeing Akira visions in Tetsuo's mind. So you think of it like this. I'll break it down real simple because I'm sure there's some people who have made it this deep into this podcast who have never seen Akira and they're sort of baffled by what's happening, (laughs) which would also describe Matt. Yeah, really. One sitting on this couch. We're in the futuristic year of 2019. There's street gangs. There's political corruption. There's terrorist bombings. There's lots of violence. It's a city that is very reminiscent of the Los Angeles of 2019 from Blade Runner. Obviously, Blade Runner took a lot of influence from Tokyo in general. Yes. And so you see that reminiscent in this film, in Neo-Tokyo. Part of that is they have these roving motorcycle gangs. Two of them get involved in this fight. Typical bullshit. There's nothing too weird or crazy about it. Kids racing their bikes, fighting, whatever. Unclear what they're even quarreling about at any point. Yeah, that kind of stuff. You've seen it a trillion times. One of the members of the capsules gets into an accident that involves this little kid who is an esper. The little kid is just not hurt. But then when the government comes to collect this little guy who escaped, they also take Tetsuo. So now you have this boy who's probably a teenager in high school. He's in this secret government facility, a lab. They're already doing all kinds of tests on him. They're realizing that this kid is showing signs of this crazy amount of power similar to the espers that they already have, but also more reminiscent of this dangerous esper, Akira. Dangerous in the sense that he had so much power that it led to the destruction of the city. And so there's this moral quandary, and at the center of it, you have a huge power. Harnessing it versus the inherent danger that comes with it. What do we do? How do we walk this line? But now, to an astute observer of film or story you understand that tetsuo is never going to be a normal kid ever again that's already out the window yep those days are behind him but it doesn't take too long for tetsuo to escape from the hospital for the first time he hooks up with his girlfriend kaori and together they steal kanada's motorcycle trying desperately to flee neo tokyo altogether However, recognizing Kanada's bike from the other night, the clowns ambush Tetsuo and Kaori. Yeah, have sort of a violent altercation here. Oh, yeah. I think that (laughs) they don't fuck around. The threat level is high. Yes. Kaori's shirt ripped off. Animated breasts happening. Stunning. They are planning to not only destroy the bike, 
by exploding it. They've punched the topless girl in the face. God yeah. only knows what they're planning on actually doing to Tetsuo. In case but, you were confused about the target audience of this movie, it's now become clear. <laughs> what do you mean? Who? <laughs> it's not for kids. Kanada and other assorted members of the capsules rescue Tetsuo and Kaori just in the nick of time. Yeah, that would be funny if in whatever limited American yeah, yeah. release it got, if some little kid begs their mom to take them to this cartoon and they yeah. don't pay attention that it's rated R. And they're like, oh my God, is this not even in English? Like the the mom is like so annoyed right off the bat. And then like 10 minutes in, a girl's shirt is getting ripped off. Walk out. Like what in the world? Yeah. This isn't land before time. Right. I will say when Canada and the other guys show up for the big save, pretty cool running kick move oh, by yeah. Canada done to the guy on the motorcycle. <laughs> Canada's definitely a badass. Yeah, well, is he too much of a badass? Is that the problem here? Because yeah, I do think that's at play. The whole issue between Canada and Tetsuo, which grows and grows and festers, is the idea of Tetsuo sort of being the little brother. Yeah, he's always character. being uh, bossed around. He doesn't like it. There's definitely an inferiority complex right. within Tetsuo. And sometimes you can fumble these things because there isn't a ton of character development and stuff like this. Because you have to jump right into it and you have to get moving because there's too much. You're taking eight years worth of manga and trying to make a two-hour movie. Mm -hmm. But I think they do it successfully enough. Again, I I feel like I, I'm just repeating myself over and over and I know that. But watching it more than once helps because you're ready and prepared for the character beats and the changes. You're not just like, who the fuck is this guy again? Oh, now he's mad at everybody. Yeah. You know, like you're still trying to figure out who Tetsuo is and then he's already evolving into his changed self. But I think when you watch it that second time, you, you get the beats right. You're like, okay, you can kind of sense he's a little annoyed with Canada even before he ever runs into Takashi on the bridge. Absolutely. And then you're like, okay, then we're sparking this with whatever's happening now. He's got these powers that are coming into prominence in his life and then... You go from there. And now that he's had his little moment, he's like fucking pissed. He's also embarrassed, probably. Oh, yeah. He's like, I stole your motorcycle with my little girlfriend, and then you guys had to come rescue us because I, I fucked this up. <laughs> Inferiority complex heavily in play. Kill him, Tetsuo! You want that? I want him more than dead! I'll split his friggin' head open! Just knock it off now! This whole thing happened just because you took my bike for a spin! Enough already! Shut up! Don't order me around! We were just worried. Why do you always have to try to save me? I could handle it on my own? Yeah, I admit, I've gotten beaten before! But I won't always be on the receiving end. You hear that? Do you understand? Tetsuo, I... <laughs> Shut up! Go away! Ha hey, wait! Tetsuo attempts to storm off away from his friends because he's angry and embarrassed, but instead he collapses, suffering intense headaches and hallucinations. This was pretty gnarly. Oh, yeah. He thinks he's falling through the earth, and then all of a sudden his guts fall out of his stomach. I know. And he's trying to, like, put them back in. But when we see it from outside his perspective, he's just, like, 
a dog swiping at the floor at the ground but it's really in his mind his organs have all fallen out well, what all the stuff that goes on in his mind is haunting it seems like this would drive you insane yeah he's got the weight of the world now because he's seeing some of what happened with akira and the destruction of the world but also his own life is sort of crumbling and he's in intense pain Shikishima once again swoops back in, and the government collects Tetsuo for rehospitalization. A lot of people able to escape. That jumped out at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they're good at collecting these espers. Right. They're not really good at containing. No. If you look carefully during the scene where Tetsuo first begins to hallucinate, you can see a series of events that happen later in the movie, like Tetsuo's rampage on the city, his fight with Canada, Tetsuo's mutation. Kaori's death and his flashbacks to when he first met Kanada. So they're doing a little teaser. Sure. This is a world where there are constant explosions. I know. Not really much explanation given to the citizens. There's a lot of terrorist attacks. Sometimes the terrorists are theoretically good guys in a way. Yeah, like pushing back against the government. Because the government seems to be experimenting on humans and the extent of that is never really made super clear, but whatever instability is the norm totally. in this world and they do a pretty decent job of conveying that to the audience in the Agreed. aftermath of the rehospitalization of Tetsuo because there's that part where they're just randomly at a movie theater and, and there's, there's like an, explosion an explosion and gunfire and fits of violence just break out at any given moment <laughs> yeah basically for people who don't live in America this right. is what America's yes, like right seriously. now <laughs> the resistance movement is trying to break into the hospital so now we got key back in the mix Canada is like just drawn to her but it seems like maybe she's a little too wild a little too legit maybe oh yeah but while they're trying to break into the hospital Canada saves her for the second time Mm -hmm. when that guy has the drop on her and (laughs) she actually ends up having to kill a dude i know a lot of murder face yeah these kids just murdering people she Canada, meanwhile is like freddie in fucking cop land he's like dragging her out of the fucking water and he's like (laughs) deaf in one ear now he's like i'm throwing away my whole life and you barely say anything (laughs) he talks non-stop at her and she just barely says anything no selling at all (laughs) yet another esper apparently neo tokyo just lousy with espers this one named kyoko a little girl yeah and you brought it up at this point it was really reminding me of the minority report yeah characters she forewarns Shikishima of Neo Tokyo's impending destruction. It's clear to the espers, though, that ultimately Tetsuo has too much power and is too dangerous. They can see this immediately. Although, at this stage of the game, Tetsuo really doesn't know what the fuck is happening to him. The city's parliament will ultimately dismiss Shikishima's concerns, the ones brought to him by Kyoko, leading him to consider killing Tetsuo himself to prevent another cataclysm. The actual parliamentary meeting between these guys is very hilarious where right. it gets completely out of control the the one guy's shut up old man like they just start yelling random shit at each other <laughs> now how is he so convinced that tetsuo is this other coming of akira is well it- he's got the doctor doing the tests on him but he's also got kyoko in his ear totally whispering she knows what's up. Yep. Kyoko reminds me of Zelda Rubenstein from Poltergeist. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So we have Hasbula and Zelda Rubenstein. <laughs> That's the crew. I think that Akira 
as a person and as an event that happened becomes a city's shameful secret. The idea that it was a nuclear attack of some kind, I think, is supposed to be more of a cover-up type story that they don't really want people to know what was going on. It seems like these espers are as a result of some kind of governmental testing or something has happened. It certainly feels that way. Kanada and Kay hook up with Ryu, another member of the Resistance. Kanada's strategy of just plowing forward with Kay is admirable, <laughs> even though she doesn't seem to respond or really be listening to at all whatsoever <laughs> to anything he says. Overhearing their plan to rescue Tetsuo and the other espers, Canada joins Kay's resistance cell, although it seems like he's probably just doing so for He's got other motives. Sake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's like, what are we doing again? <laughs> I don't know if this is the right time or not, or the right way to do it, but let's provide some context regarding Akira, who he is, who he was, and how does that factor into the present day of the film. Please. If you're watching the film, this is not information that you receive at this point in time, but I felt like it would potentially help tell the story a little bit better as far as what we're trying to do. I think that's fair. I guess I just want to be clear that you're however long into this movie, it's not like you're getting this information dumped on you now or at any point really, but this is just piecing it together and helping to provide a little context of context, the but story. also co- character and color to True. the whole thing. Akira is a young orphan child recruited by the government for their secret parapsychology project and was assigned the subject number 28. So, yes, they do have subject numbers, which Mm -hmm. is very Stranger Things. Yep. The project forced Akira to develop powerful psychic abilities. During this time, he met and befriended other children involved with the project, notably Kyoko, Masaru, and Takashi, later known collectively as the Espers, Akira's powers grew rapidly, eventually beyond his control. On July 16, 1988, he destroyed the original Tokyo, which the rest of the world mistook for a nuclear detonation. This began a chain of events which quickly led to World War III. Akira was retrieved by the scientists and was dissected to discover the cause of his sudden psychic growth. The scientists were unable to solve this problem, and the remains were sealed in canisters and cryogenically frozen underground sealed away as to prevent any chance of problems in the future. So just digesting that, they fucking cut up a kid to do experiments on him. These kids are supposed to be like seven years old, something like that. (laughs) There's definitely some darkness. A little bit. The existence of Akira and other remnants of the project become a contentious issue within the upper echelons of Japanese politicians. Earth feared Akira because of his almost divine power. He can do literally anything, even create a whole new universe. While the project is considered one of the highest of state secrets, periodic leaks have led to Akira becoming a messianic figure among some cults in Neo-Tokyo. Minister Nezu, seeing this as an opportunity to gain further political power, manipulates a dissident group known as the Resistance to free Akira to further his own ends. Seems like a dangerous game to play. Akira is basically the ultimate energy. Think of it like that, because mm. this all becomes yeah. like a literal metaphor for nuclear power. So just think of Akira, who was, yes, a human, but also is symbolic of ultimate power. Not ultimate too dissimilar energy. from Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen. Exactly. Yeah. Nezu was a parliament member who was also the leader of the terrorist resistance movement against the government. He kind of has a 
weird appearance with the big teeth and like a ponytail type thing. He's also very small. <laughs> yeah, not the most flattering of looks. So he is on that parliament group. So you see him a couple of times pop up throughout the movie, and this can kind of be hard, I think, and some of what gets lost in translation sometimes when American audiences might be trying to decipher this story is that you're trying to keep track of all these characters. It's a very complicated, weird story to begin with that doesn't deal with normal, everyday stuff. You see this guy in Parliament, but then you also see him with Ryu, and that's his big contact, the connection that connects Nezu to the rest of this. Yep. So you're kind of like, well, what side is he on? I know. But he is a villain, but Ryu and Kay Seem like are not villains. Good guys, They've yeah. more or less been manipulated by this guy. True. At the hospital, the other espers try killing Tetsuo via hallucinations, but the attempt is thwarted. This is... This is the thing with like the little bears and everything? Yeah, this is oh, completely yeah. insane. It was reminding me of Mulholland Drive at the end with the <laughs> little old people. It's out of nowhere, too, because it's unlike anything else that has come to I know. this point. So... Kyoko, Masuro, and Takashi disguise themselves as like a bear, like a teddy bear, a rabbit, <laughs> and a car. Yeah. Sort of like toys. They look like stuffed toys, yeah. Yeah, and they try to come into Tetsuo's room, wherever they're all being held. And I guess they try to kill him, which is a little unclear what they're even doing or how they're going to do it exactly. Not the easiest assassination attempt to explain. But Tetsuo's powers are too great for them, and they're also a little unstable. So the Espers aren't really a great match, but at the same time, they've got the jump on him because he doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Right. But then he accidentally cuts his own foot on broken glass, and the Espers freak out at the sight of blood and then devolve back into Bail. themselves. yeah. Oh, shit! (laughs) (laughs) Then they're sort of backing out of his room as themselves because their disguises have broken down. It all feels like a hallucinatory dream. It's like shades of Fantasia or something. Yeah. The way they're sort of like, boom, 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 like marching in in slow motion. Well, it's like creepy toys. Yeah. While a frustrated Tetsuo searches for the espers, killing any orderlies and militiamen blocking his path within the hospital... The resistance group infiltrates the massive building and engages in some wild sewer pipe battles. Yeah, not a great showing for the group, really. This building is insane. It's enormous. And I guess it's some kind of a government hospital facility, something. And then the bowels of the building are these giant tunnels that aren't only big enough to walk upright in. You could yeah. stack five people on each other's shoulders and it would be big enough. The like, architecture definitely seems unnatural. <laughs> I guess they have a lot of stuff to get rid of. Sure. <laughs> they also have these patrol squads for the sewers with these hovercraft jet ski looking things. Yeah. You get some pretty cool action sequences there with those couple Star guys Wars adjacent. from the Resistance eliminated immediately. Well, you got to have your yeah. expendables. That's right. The red shirts. Tetsuo, on his path to what they refer to as the baby room, mm. which I guess is where they keep the espers. I don't know. Sort of demeaning to hear that. Oh, uh, yeah. There's that cool shot where... It's an elevator door opening, and it's got like that light and smoke like curling mm-hmm. out as it opens. It's very cool. Oh, like, yeah. It jumped out to me both times watching it. I was like, wow, yeah, that's a cool shot. Well, I think we passed it already at this point, but one of the things I was thinking of when I referred to it 
some of the shots are, I guess it's not shots, but some of the animation looking like camera shots is they do that whole sequence where it seems like a camera like sweeping through the hallways of the building. Yeah. This just seems like they're drawing it as if a camera is shooting this. Oh, yeah, for sure. Again, just a very cool, casual level of violence going on. <laughs> yeah. Tetsuo carving out a path of carnage and destruction on his way. Yeah, poor uh, security guards that thought they were just going to put him back in his room. So there's already no turning back. You're invested in this because this guy can't be a kid anymore. He's got this insane amount of power, and it's already corrupted his mind and turned him into a supervillain. Absolute power corrupts absolutely that whole vibe. Mm -hmm. Like, as soon as he's got that taste. It always goes into that thing where it's like, how quick do they lose touch with their humanity? Yeah. And it just seems like instant. Once Canada and Kay separate from the other members of the resistance group, the female Esper, Kyoko, uses her powers to draw them into Shikishima and the other Esper's futile attempts to stop Tetsuo. So that'll happen a couple times from now till the rest of the film where Kyoko basically takes over Kay uh-huh. telepathically. Leading to more mystery for Canada. Tetsuo is a bundle now of secrets and rage where things are being kept from him he doesn't know what's going on all of this different shit is flashing into his head it has that very distinctive noise and then akira oh yeah <laughs> he just keeps right. happy he's like what the fuck who is this <laughs> and he's building towards this confrontation with everyone and then has a complete meltdown with shikishima and the espers and then kanada and kei as well and his meltdown starts tearing down the entire fucking building. That's the thing. This is definitely a dude that you need to keep calm. <laughs> or else danger is going to be right around the corner. Kyoko ultimately reveals to Tetsuo that Akira, located in cryonic storage beneath the Olympic Stadium's construction site, could potentially help Tetsuo with his newly realized powers. Kyoko seems to just be throwing this out there as a way to appease him just like here try this go to find akira mm -hmm. even though shikishima is like oh my what the don't fucking tell him they were yeah you told him where it was what <laughs> you're planting that seed after rejecting everyone around him especially his old pal kanada tetsuo flees the hospital to hunt for akira when tokyo was chosen to host the 2020 summer olympics in the 2013 bidding process, several commentators claimed that Acura predicted the future event. Oh, wow. Because they are also building the Olympic stadiums That's interesting. in 2019 yeah. for Summer Olympics of 2020. In February of 2020, during the coronavirus pandemic and 147 days before the Olympics, a scene in Acura which calls for the cancellation of the 2020 Olympics 147 days before the event. Holy shit. Led to a social media trend calling for the cancellation of the 2020 Olympics. The Summer Olympics were eventually postponed to 2021. Wow. Due to the coronavirus pandemic. I had no idea there was that crossover. According to the security team, reviews of tapes showed five intruders disguised as workers entered into the wiring shaft. Besides the two back I have to stop him before his powers shot. mature. Your objective is the boy, Tatsuo Shima. If we are unable to capture him, we'll lure him out to the old city and attack. Request assistance from the Eastern District Battalion. Yes, sir. Tell them there isn't a moment to lose here. I've been waiting here a long time, Colonel. 
What are you doing here? Huh? I'm here to inform you tonight of the Supreme Executive Council's decision. At 2400 hours today, the Colonel is hereby stripped of his command and rank, and shall be placed under arrest. What the hell? Kindly accompany us now. You really expect me to hand Neo-Tokyo over to those fools at a time like this? Shoot him! Yes, sir! What? Uh, no, wait! Hold on! No! Enough! Open your eyes and look at the big picture! You're all puppets of corrupt politicians and capitalists! Don't you understand? It's utterly pointless to fight each other! Announce a state of emergency and arrest all members of the Executive Council. Break their chain of command. Lift off! We're going after Tetsuo! Urgent message. Repeat. Urgent to all District Battalion commanders. Shikishima is set to be stripped of his rank and power in addition to being arrested. <laughs> Just a beatdown. That went real well for the guys trying to arrest him. Yeah, yeah. But instead, stage is a pretty swift coup d'etat. Against Neo Tokyo's government, I know. Just like, all right, well, well, this is that another point where you're very confused as to like what your rooting interest is supposed to be because it seems like sides are changing in the middle of scenes. Yeah, well, it seems like Nezu, yeah, wants Akira to be found and released, and I'm not sure what his ultimate motivations even really are. Right. Other than I guess to try to have that power. In where some does way. the money come from? You mean the money he's stuffing in that suitcase? Yeah, yeah. Because he just is corrupt. Yeah, yeah. A shady deals. guy. He's a Dennis Nedry type. Shikishima is just an army guy, and he's just doing what he would do. But right. he, he knows that something's up. The government doesn't have a fucking clue what's going on with Akira, and so he's like, "All right, well, if they're gonna fuck around with this, I gotta just take over." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I like how there's not even a hesitation. Yeah. Just like, all right, well, this is happening right this now. This is the world we live in now. It's just <laughs> what it is. The guy, like, pulls his gun to arrest him, and Shikishima's like, call an ambulance, but not for me. Just <laughs> <laughs> to kills the guy immediately. Right. Ignoring the bureaucratic bullshit and red tape, he directs the military forces to destroy Tetsuo at any cost. Kyoko is able to break Kei and Kanada out of military custody by using Kei as a medium again. So is he off to find Akira? Yes, that's what that girl was saying. Now the army, Ryu, and yourself are all trying at once to find this Akira guy. And that's also why you're chasing after Tetsuo. It must have to do with the powers he's got. Uh, what the hell is this Akira thing, huh? I asked Ryu one time. He told me that Akira is ultimate energy. Ultimate energy? Humans do all kinds of things during their lifetime, right? Discovering things. Building things. Things like houses. High-speed trains, motorcycles, bridges and cities, rockets. So where do you suppose all that knowledge and energy comes from? Humans were once like monkeys, right? And before that, like reptiles and fish. And even before that, plankton and amoebas, even little creatures like those, have incredible amounts of energy inside them. Oh, yes, sir. Oh, it's in the genes, right? And even before that, maybe there was genetic material in the air and water, even in the particles of dust in space. And if that's the truth, 
then what sort of memories are hidden within them? The beginning of the universe, or maybe even before that? What's with all the crazy talk? Are you sure you're okay? Listen to ya! Or did you get bonked on the head back there? And what if everyone shares those ancient memories? What if there were some mistakes in the progression? Then something goes wrong like an amoeba is suddenly given the higher powers that a human has. Akira is an amoeba then? Amoebas don't build their own houses and bridges, do they? They just devour all the food they can find around them. Is that what Tetsuo's doing? Are you saying he has that kind of energy? Long ago, there were people who tried to gain control of that power. That is all at the government's request. But they failed in their attempt, and it triggered the fall of Tokyo. And that power is... something that is totally beyond our... The door's unlocked. Meanwhile, at the capsule's former hangout, Tetsuo kills the bartender and then confronts gangmates Yamagata and Kai, a couple of bros we haven't seen really since the beginning. Yeah, yeah, they fell out of the narrative. It seems that our newly escaped psychic monster is still interested in Kanada's bike. <laughs> that is a big thing. Tetsuo ends up killing Yamagata when things get heated, but they didn't really seem to get heated until Tetsuo took a shot at Kanada's bike. And Yamagata was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Yeah. That bike is cool as hell. I won't hear this shit. Have you seen all the stickers he's got on it? Conveniently, Kai crosses paths with Kanada and Kay, so he's able to tell them about Yamagata. You won't believe what happened. Kanada vows to avenge his friend. And then, in one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen, goes through the process of putting a motorcycle through assisted suicide so that it can join his owner. That was bizarre. Yeah, yeah. I know. That was stunning to see. Kay's like, really? Do we have time for this? Really? And there's a (laughs) lot of fake outs with the deaths. They make it seem like he's driving the motorcycle into the wall with him on it. (laughs) He just commits suicide. It's like, okay. Credits. Right. (laughs) Never mind. There's no final battle. It's over. Yeah. What? Yamagata's dead? Something seemed strange about him the second I saw his face. It's odd. He was wearing what looked like a white hospital gown. He acted like a different person. Yamagata asked him if he was really Tetsuo or if he was someone else. And then he... (laughs) Yamagata, why? We've always been together. I've known everything about him ever... Ever since we were in the children's home together, they'd tease. Everybody tried to make him cry. Oh, yeah. He really wanted to know where your bike was at. Where my bike was? What are you gonna do? I'm gonna go send Yamagata his wheels. You dumb bastard! Kaneda! The Esper Takashi shows up and leads Kay away. <laughs> Poor Kay. Kind of a weird scene, too, because you don't realize that they're walking on water, including Kay. Until Canada tries to follow and just yeah. like, immediately gets dunked. And then they just disappear. Kyoko 
sort of bridges that gap for us as viewers in case like we weren't really getting it because she talks about Akira's power being within everyone but when that power is awakened it is important to choose wisely how to use it and there's some talk about how when older people have access to this power because I believe that in what we're being shown Tetsuo is a teenager and these other kids seem younger although they knew Akira so they must be some frozen in some sort of stasis to keep them young Mm -hmm. because that was 30 years earlier I'm not really sure how the ages are all working out with the espers I don't really know what their aging process is like but the point of it is that the children are basically innocent and then adults are corrupted by mm-hmm. this desire for the power and doesn't take a fucking genius to figure out what she's talking about. She's not sure. really talking about extrasensory powers right. and psychic abilities. They're talking about nuclear weapons and who has them and who knows what to do with them. But even though there is a darker, more serious edge to this, I wouldn't say that Akira is without any humor. There's definitely some funny lines one of my favorite is when Kyoko is just telling this shit to Kanada and Kai, I believe, after Kay has disappeared. Oh, and yeah. he's like, Kanada starts flipping out. And he's like, <laughs> Tetsuo is our friend, not yours. If someone's going to kill him, it should be us. <laughs> <laughs> Me screaming at all the people that write in about how terrible Matt is on the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Akira means bright intelligent clear in japanese mr nezu's last stand oof once shikishima makes his move and has the military more or less backing him in this move then it turns into a rough time for some of the people opposed to him and i'd say so the walls are closing in on mr nezu who i think is slowly being exposed as a fraud he was manipulating a resistance group into thinking that the motivations were just for like human rights and that kind of bullshit, but really didn't seem like he was actually that interested. Had in his human own rights. personal motivations yeah. to harness the power of Akira. Dollar bills at play. Everything's crumbling. He shoots Ryu, Bummer. but then he ends up dying first by having some sort of a heart attack moment <laughs> in an alley. Just an embarrassment. Trying to like cram pills into his mouth, yeah, yeah. but then dies while. Ryu, who we thought was dead, is now stumbling by him, still alive, but seemingly soon to be dead. Tetsuo now out into the world, wreaking havoc on his way to try to find Akira. He goes through the big transformation, which when he does this and I saw what he looked like, I'm like, oh, I've seen this. Like, I, yeah, yeah. I kind of got you see images all the time. And then once you actually see the movie, then you, actually, you piece it together. You're like, oh, this is what that's from. Because now he's got the the wild, spiky hair, the makeshift red cape. Yeah, that he just, I don't know, pulled from a broken down canopy or something? It was like a curtain that yeah. he ripped out of a building. It's an iconic look that's familiar even if you've never seen the film. Mm-hmm. Because once he, he put this look together, I, was, I, I immediately recognized it, even though I've never seen right, it right. before. But the bad news is that he's basically indestructible now. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem for people to deal with. Mistaken for Akira by cultists, Tetsuo rampages through Neo-Tokyo, inadvertently leading everyone into a massacre on a large bridge. 
Oh, yeah, he's gathering followers as he's marching the streets. Yeah, they've shown us a few times throughout the movie that there are some of these groups collecting out there with various street preachers, I guess, and they've formed a religion around Akira. And so they... This is their moment. Think Well, no, they think that he is Akira. Right. They don't realize that he's going to try to find Akira. They just mm-hmm. think he is because they're like, holy shit, this dude's doing whatever he wants. Yep. <laughs> Badass. Yeah. <laughs> but then they all get on that bridge. I don't know what you call those kind of bridges. I was researching it, but I, I didn't want to say for sure because uh, the names I was seeing were kind of not exactly what this bridge is, but it's got like those multiple folds in it. Yeah. So that taller ships could go through, but right. there's like lots of the locks. Mm-hmm. And then, like, while they're all on the bridge, they all open, and so, like, all those people go sliding into the water. Yeah, yeah. From there, Tetsuo arrives at Akira's cryogenic storage facility under the Olympic Stadium. Interesting place for him to be stored. Him and Jimmy Hoffa uh-huh. buried together under that Olympic Stadium. That's what it was like, yeah. <laughs> One of the construction workers that worked on that stadium was like, oh, we're going to bury this guy here to Kay curse this place. is still a pawn for the other espers. She's already there, down there waiting for him. Kay and Tetsuo begin to battle while Kanada, who has retrieved his trusty motorcycle, is in pursuit, following a trail of destruction towards Tetsuo. Tetsuo defeats Kay and exhumes Akira, but all that is left are his sealed remains, left in jars for scientific purposes. Which is pretty gross. They did a million tests on Akira and his remains, but they were unable to solve the mystery as to what made him so powerful. And so he was sealed like that to be entrusted to future generations. But none of this information is particularly well received by Tetsuo, who remains not thrilled. Right. He's fucking pissed. Well, the way the movie builds feels like we're going to be getting to Akira, mm-hmm. you know? So this is a little bit of a, oh, okay, <laughs> nothing's happening here. Kanada arrives on the scene with a laser rifle, and the two longtime friends finally have it out. I was like, where does he get these wonderful toys? This goes into the history of their friendship, and Tetsuo saying things about being treated like a kid and not being happy in their friendship. Mm -hmm. And now he's lashing out. Kanada's just like, you could have brought this up not in this way. We could have hashed this out over a beer or a capsule. <laughs> a capsule. A couple years yeah. later, Canada and his band putting out songs. Yeah. Tetsuo spoke in class <laughs> <Yeah>. today. <laughs> Gnashed his teeth and bit the recess, laid his breath. <laughs> it was insane lyrics. I know. Yeah, you are kind of getting a Jeremy vibe. Uh-huh. Tetsuo... I don't know. You hesitate to make the school shooter joke, but pushed around. It seems like yeah, that's he's, the vibe we're getting here. I, I feel like he's been carrying this around, and now he's been given unlimited power, and he's like, you know what? This is my fucking moment. Fuck you, yeah, Mister Leather Jacket. Take your gang and shove it. However, Canada is slightly compromised for their battle because of the presence of K, who he wants to protect. Yeah. I was having a little bit of a tough time buying that Canada would be able to hack it in this fight at all. He's got a cool laser rifle. Yeah. Well, part of the problem, I think, from Tetsuo's perspective is that he has unlimited power, but he is not good at controlling it. Right. And it's not that easy for him to, like, focus it yet. 
on one objective. But while Kanada and Tetsuo are having it out, Shikishima fires an orbital weapon <laughs> at Tetsuo, which manages to destroy his arm. Yeah, that part interested me. He only really seems mildly inconvenienced, though, by this. Yeah, the beam covers his whole body. I don't really Yeah, I wasn't really sure how this all worked. Yeah, the science wasn't making sense to me. Well, to be fair, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think any science makes sense to you. True. (laughs) Maybe it just looks that big, but it's really... Yeah, just a a part of... Even more precise, which seems like that would be impossible. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, armless now. With one arm, Tetsuo flies up into space and destroys the satellite firing upon him. Not thrilled. This was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Some people were giving the film a little extra credit because at this point, there wasn't a lot of depictions of space that were hauntingly silent, Mm -hmm. which we've gotten used to now with gravity and Ad Astra and a lot of more modern space things where they are like, yeah, there's really like no noise. It's fucked up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And they did that in this movie, which was kind of cool. And it's a cool little demonstration and at a perfect time to do it, too, to be like, let's remind you what we're dealing with with Tetsu and his powers. Mm-hmm. He can breathe in space. He isn't crushed. He can go through the atmosphere and the And it's one of those things where he ozone. just knows. He just knows that this is something he can do now. Fly yeah. up to space and be able to survive. Well, it probably impacts your instincts. Yeah, yeah. Where you just sort of instinctually know you can are capable of things. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I used to be able to go up the stairs two or three at a time. But instinctually, I know that I probably shouldn't do that anymore, being fat and old. I used to be able to go up the stairs and be able to breathe when I got to the top. Instinctually, I know that that won't be happening now. (laughs) Tetsuo then uses his powers to assemble a robotic arm made out of iron and metal from all of the rubble Mm -hmm. and destruction. I did definitely get reminded of some of the Adventure Time Storylines when Finn loses an arm. Oh, yeah. If anyone fucks with Adventure Time out there, which is one animated thing that I, I do know a decent amount about. Well, it's definitely a Star Wars thing, too. The losing yeah. of arms and constantly having robotic arms after that. It may even go beyond Star Wars. Yeah. Like I think, it, for whatever reason, it's just a trope. Mm-hmm. But I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> the name Tetsuo literally means Iron Man in Japanese, a foreshadowing of the indestructible powers and metallic body parts he ultimately acquires. There actually is a film called Tetsuo the Iron Man or, or something like that. Oh. I've never seen it, but I have seen it referenced. I guess it's some weird Japanese horror film or something. Gotcha. That night, when everyone seems to be having a cool down and regroup, Kiori, Tetsuo's main squeeze, shows up on the scene and finds Tetsuo in great pain at the Olympic Stadium. Kaori is shook by what she sees, and Shikishima has arrived on foot trying to talk some sense into Tetsuo with offers of proper treatment. Yeah, come back. We can take care of you. As he is starting to lose all control over his powers. This is... You might die. A weird thing. He's more powerful than ever. He's now beyond humanity in that sense, but... I probably would have went with a full bluff and been like, if you don't come and let us treat you, you're going to die. Yeah, might as well just say that. Yeah, yeah. Tetsuo's robotic arm first starts to expand and take hold in a stone Mm -hmm. chair. Things start to get kind of disgusting down the road here. Before Tetsuo's flesh mutates and weaponizes, actually 
his arm just sort of turns into this glob of different shit and attacks Shikishima. Looks like a glob of organs. Kind of, because yeah. of the different colors. I think it's just supposed to be like muscle, skin, mm-hmm. yeah. bone, tent, like all kinds of weird right. shit warped. Yeah, that goes after Shikishima. It's sick, but even it growing both metallically and organically, like the metal part and the flesh part, into that chair, and yeah. he's like kind of pull it off, it's gross. I know. I don't Very like it. Very sick. Right. I don't like it. <laughs> well, it's just the part that I think kind of makes it what it is. It's yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah. this cool, weird shit in it's it. It's like John Carpenter's The Thing. But then Canada crashes the party once again. Canada and Tetsuo do battle. But in his weakened state, Tetsuo cannot control his newfound powers. He starts to mutate into an uncontrollable, gigantic mass of flesh, engulfing both Kanada and Kaori. Mm, poor Kaori. Yeah. It's just gnarly shit. Demolished Kaori. This is all taking place inside the Olympic Stadium, just to allow people to get their bearings a little bit, which is mostly completed, but still partially a construction site. It's definitely now giving off vibes of a giant squid. Oh, yeah. But mutating and growing. It's insane how big he's getting. And it's an alien vibe. And I don't mean the movie alien. I mean what he is. Right. It it starts coming off as not human. It's just an alien. Because it's not even shaping into a giant man or anything. It's just a glob of different stuff, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word. Well said. Kiori is killed within the mass, and frankly, Kanada should be too. It doesn't really make sense why he's fine. <laughs> I know. His escape seems very unlikely, but somehow he manages to shoot his way out with the laser rifle and plop out of that goo. Oof. Within the goo, you're seeing faces form, giant faces, a giant baby. It's all pretty gross. Arms and legs and feet and hands. It's pulsating living moving i want no part of it the espers they're like come on we got to pull it together they show up they're like all right well let's revive akira and see if that helps (laughs) akira will be able to stop this fucking disgusting whatever this is yeah part of their plan is like all right well we'll just transport shikishima a safe distance away we don't want you interfering in what we're about to do we got to take care of some business and he's just like Wait, where am I? <laughs> they just put him somewhere completely random. <laughs> so this part is weird. Okay. They do bring Akira back, but it's not as if he's alive. It's yeah. more like a vibe, like a ghost. It's anticlimactic, I would but say. It, it's also a small boy who's nude, so it's yeah. sort of weird, too. Not that it's drawn with any detail down no. there, but it is strange. Not exactly what I was expecting we were building to. Akira's just like, I don't know what's going on, dudes. <laughs> Guys. My body parts have been buried under this stadium for years. Why did know. you bring me back? He's like, it's still 1989, right? Yeah. It's like, it's still the 80s, right? They're like, oh, shit. Sorry. <laughs> Akira creates a singularity drawing Tetsuo and Kanada into another dimension. The singularity destroys Neo Tokyo in a mirror of Tokyo's previous destruction. In a final act of selflessness, the three OG espers, Kyoko, Takashi, and Masaru, all agree to rescue Kanada, knowing they will not return to this dimension as a result. Full disclosure, I did have to rely on the internet for this. Mm -hmm. The ending is sort of hard to figure out what's going on. Absolutely. They don't really explain it to you, so you're kind of just seeing things happen, but you're not sure what you're seeing. Okay, I'm here to listen. 
Well, that was it. Well, no, there's more, but yeah. <laughs> he just basically creates another dimension to push these two clowns yeah, into. Yeah. Supposedly just for Tetsuo, but Canada doesn't get out of the way. In this singularity, Kanada experiences Tetsuo and the other Esper's childhoods. And I just would want to point out real quick, I love this little bit where they were flashing back and I'm like, man, that room they're in, that does seem like the late 80s. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the design of the furniture and all that shit. Mm-hmm. They were that detailed. And it's cool, though, because this yeah. came out in 1988. Right, right. And in 1988, that's not the past to them. That's the present. But they're like, yeah, this is what these tables look like. And you're like, yep. Yeah, that's the 80s. Kanada experiences Tetsuo and the other Esper's childhoods, including his and Tetsuo's friendship and the Esper's psychic training before Tokyo's destruction. The Esper's return Kanada to Neo Tokyo, informing him that Akira will take Tetsuo to safety and that Kei is developing psychic powers, too. Dr. Onishi witnesses the birth of a universe but is killed in his lab's destruction. After consuming most of Neo-Tokyo, the singularity disappears and water floods the crater left in its place. Mourning the loss of Tetsuo, Kanada discovers that Kei and Kai have survived and they ride off into the ruins while Shikishima watches the sunrise. So we're kind of back to square one. Right, but they did manage to neutralize the threat of Tetsuo's uncontrollable powers. At an unspecified plane of reality, Tetsuo introduces himself and triggers the creation of a universe finally transcending the limitations of human existence. One thing that I was definitely wondering was how many total people were killed (laughs) in all of this? (laughs) Yeah. Including the first, like, Akira moment? No, no, no. Okay, just yeah, from yeah. the start of this movie okay. to the end. Yeah. It's a huge body count. It seems like it. Yeah. It's kind of well, hard. Well, Neo-Tokyo gets, like, destroyed. Yeah, it's kind of hard to say what exactly is happening there at the end. Is everyone supposed to be dead? Yeah. I don't know. That seems like it's even darker than you would think, but then again... What are the other options? Yeah. Are they blast into a different dimension? Some people had to have survived. It wouldn't yeah. just be those three. That's true. And I think Shikishima is still alive. Right. But then you get into, is there going to be a Chernobyl type situation? Is there delayed effects? Is everyone going to have three legs in the future? I would think you're not getting out of this without some environmental ramifications. You would think, yeah. At its heart, the story seems to be about the search for power always leading to destruction. Mm-hmm. Desire for power and significance fuel Tetsuo's emotions. They were bubbling underneath the surface. A random accident occurs, and then all hell breaks loose because he's given this insane gift, but it's a gift that he can't really handle and doesn't really know the full extent of. But he isn't concerned with that because it's now allowed him to be what he always wanted to be deep down, which is the big guy in charge, doesn't need help has all of the power, and it really comes out of this inferiority complex that is built over time. Plus, you have the idea of good old-fashioned revenge. Mm-hmm. Revenge fuels Tetsuo. It fuels several of the other characters at play, too. But then you're reminded of the hollowness of the pursuit of revenge because yeah. in the end, it it really doesn't benefit anybody and just leads to his own destruction. Friendships and relationships very much called into question, I would say. Not for nothing, Tetsuo was supposed to be a friend of Canada. 
Yeah, it's the thin line that can develop Yeah, when there's an unspoken thing festering for a right. long time. Sometimes it's the dynamic, or sometimes it's a specific event. Or It'll whatever. all end in flames. But the movie also delves into like the end times, and we have like the doomsday cults that form. It seems like Neo-Tokyo is a political hellscape. No one is really out there preserving the rights and freedoms of the individual and so now people are left to fend for themselves and it just turns into this ugly mess but when you examine the principal characters at play in akira you can uncover like all kinds of different things like first of all springing out from these doomsday cults these street cults the people that ultimately get killed on the bridge there is some commentary at work that's very subtle and cool and it just proves that Akira is like a little bit deeper than you would even think, like with Otomo having all kinds of different takes. Because if you think about these doomsday cults on the surface, they're anti-government, they're anti-government testing, they're protesting, they're sort of sympathetic in the sense that they're created by fear, mm-hmm. created by uncertainty. But then you look at the leader of the cult being carried around like a king or a god, and there's this hypocrisy of individual self-importance that is all running throughout the film. You have those little moments like that. These are supposed to be these freedom fighters, these people, and then the, this guy's being carried around like an emperor, and then yeah, yeah. they get washed away. Which but I also- think that's kind of part of the whole thing of being vague in terms of the good guys and bad guys of the movie. Well, yeah, because then you have both the cultists and maybe Sh- Shikishima as well. It's all about rampant narcissism. That Everyone thinks they know what to do. That's they right. are always in pursuit of control and power i should be the person making these decisions even if ultimately at the end of the two-hour runtime we think shikishima doesn't seem bad at all no he did what he needed to do but still he's no different from anybody else where everything comes back to i know what i have to do and i'm gonna do it everyone else be damned it all comes back to hiroshima nagasaki and the morality of nuclear weapons and I think that Akira functions as an open-ended debate regarding all sorts of other ethical questions and different types of morality. If you want to strip it, even if it's power in terms of nuclear weapons and that kind of allegory, just think of it as childlike innocence versus adult selfishness and obliviousness, which is sort of what the espers were alluding to. Basically, when people grow up, they suck. Mm -hmm. their motivations are different it becomes about money and power and the loss of life or the actual physical toll of nuclear weapons or a power like akira or tetsuo it's it's minimized in the sense of like what damage it would do but maximized in terms of how much we need it that kind of thing yep since 2002 warner brothers acquired the rights to create a live action remake of akira as a a seven-figure deal at the time. The live-action remake has undergone several failed attempts to produce it. I imagine. With at least five different directors and ten different writers known to have been attached to it. By 2017, director Taika Waititi was named as the film's director for the live-action adaptation. Warner huh. Brothers had scheduled the film for release on May 21st, 2021, and filming was planned to start in California in July of 2019. However, Warner Brothers put the work on indefinite hold just prior to filming as Watiti had chosen to direct Thor Love and Thunder, the sequel to Thor Ragnarok, which he had also directed. So it's still out there 
being put in turnaround wow. every okay. couple of years. Yeah. Like it's still probably going to happen at some point. Although, kind of seems m- like it would be a disaster. Maybe they should not cast Scarlett Johansson in the lead this yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't really work out last time. Let's maybe uh, not go that route. In the 90s, Sony contemplated a live-action version of the film, but scrapped the idea when the projected budget went north of $300 million, which in the 90s would have been insane. Yeah. And they were like, holy shit. It just feels like it's loaded with potential to be a complete disaster, but also even the possibility of it being relatively successful doesn't it seem like it could fall into that blade runner 2049 category where it's you like, mean it's like yeah where it's awesome but it, it there's no way it's gonna make any money but you need a big budget to make it probably yeah there's no way you could really do this on the cheap right i'm surprised that there hasn't been more of a push to do an expanded television series maybe there has been i, I don't think there's been anything that yeah. i'm aware of in america or anything but I could see it as like a streaming thing. Totally. And kind of blowing it out to be a longer version. It does seem tricky with how the budgets are to do a live action version at this point, but who knows? I know. I don't really have the information off the top of my head, but something tells me that Ghost in the Shell, well, that's the one that right. ScarJo was in. I can't yeah. imagine that movie was like super profitable or anything. I don't think so. All right. So that will essentially do it for. Acura. So thank you for the listener request, yeah. Theodore, a longtime listener. I do like being pushed to other things, and this is certainly something that I'm sure I'll revisit again. It's definitely made me think about it after the viewing, so I could potentially get more into this as we move forward. As I told Theodore, I've been waiting for the, the opportunity to kind of jump into this stuff. Sometimes you stand at the edge. You stand yeah, yeah. right at the edge of the diving board, and it takes you a few years or however long to really jump in. Because I have Akira oh, yeah. on Blu-ray. I have Perfect Blue. I have... I feel like years ago I was... Spirited Away. Yeah. I have a bunch of these movies. I think years ago when we were out movie shopping, I was standing with you, and you were just like, should I just rip the Band-Aid off and buy all these right now? <laughs> And I don't think you did at that time, but you were like, you were discussing jumping into the world. Yeah. So we finally got here. We tried our best. I know that there's probably a lot of stuff that maybe we're not diving into as deep as this movie because we're still pretty new at this. Hard to be a master of this after one viewing, I'm sure. This is not the only listener request coming up, though, that is sort of in this situation where we're being thrown into something which is pretty well established uh-huh. and has a deep amount of information and lore, and then we don't know anything about it, and so we're just crashing the party. I feel like it's more so the case than not with these requests. <laughs> <laughs> Folks. Anyway, so thank you to Theodore. If you yourself have a listener request and would like to get in on the action, find us on Twitter, at GreatestPod, or email greatestpod at gmail.com. And I'm just going to keep this really brief because I know Matt's going to freak out. But <laughs> we have I? basically one slot maybe in July that's open right now still. So don't hesitate. If you're interested, reach out. Let's get the ball rolling. Let's get it done. It's not going on the schedule until you pay for it. So don't think it's going to be happening by magic. You no. got <laughs> to let us know, and then you got to pay for it, and then it's on the schedule. Like I said, we got one spot open maybe in July. And then at that point, you're, you know, we're probably talking August, September. So jump on it when you get a chance. Find us on Twitter or email, and then we'll figure it out. 
What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Do you want to do any recommendations? I can. <laughs> well, let's hear it. Well, I was just thinking in the spirit of this movie, the adult targeted animated movies, not something I've spent a ton of time with, but I would say one of my favorites over the last like decade was the Dark Knight Returns ones that they did that are up on HBO Max right now. Right, yeah. Broken into two parts. So I've watched those a couple times, actually. Probably enjoy that the most out of these types of movies in terms of animated targeted towards adults. So if you haven't watched those and you're a Batman fan, I'm sure most of you have, but I would definitely recommend giving those a shot. That seems to be the one medium where DC has done a better job than Marvel. And that basically just boils down to Marvel not really needing to give a shit about animated movies. But they've produced some really solid animated films, mostly for the Batman stuff, but some of the other characters as well. DC, for whatever reason, just decided, hey, we have some very popular graphic novels. Let's just turn them into self-contained animated films. They're usually about 90 minutes, unless they're broken into two parts. They broke the long Halloween into two parts, Mm -hmm. too, which is another excellent one. Yeah. I've watched most of them and have enjoyed pretty much all of them. And, yeah, they're all really well done. They're more in the PG-13 range with, like, maybe an f-bomb or two to uh-huh. get them to be rated r but it's you're not having characters like shirts ripped sure. off yeah and the blood is not generally like this but sometimes it gets a little yeah. violent yeah i think they have a mix don't they totally. most of them are pg-13 but i think there's a couple that are r right i thought like that, that the dark knight returns ones were r but it, yeah i think that okay maybe not both parts but yeah yeah that was one of them but right. i think a lot of them are pg-13 but they're all very high quality I don't really have a traditional recommendation per se, but I did watch a movie this week that I needed to talk about because it is literally, and I know people say literally, including myself, way too much, but it is literally one of the most insane things I've ever watched. Love to hear about it. It's a little picture called 80 for Brady. (laughs) I've been wanting to watch this. I could not believe that this was a movie. Yeah, yeah. I had zero interest at first, and then we saw a trailer for it before Babylon that was kind of funny. Yeah. And it made me think, well, this might actually be kind of funny. It's not. Okay. It's not funny, and it's not good, but I feel like everyone needs to watch it. There you go. Especially Matt, who is a Patriots fan. (laughs) I know, to make make him even a bigger heel on the podcast right now. (laughs) I don't really know how to explain why it's so weird. It feels like a skit at points sure, yeah. where you're kind of like, why are these old ladies all wearing Patriots jerseys? Why are they obsessed with the Patriots? Then you realize Tom Brady produced this movie, uh-huh. yeah. and it is endlessly talking about how good-looking he is, how he's the greatest, <laughs> and it's the most insane, so narcissistic thing I've ever seen. I love it. But... yeah. The part, uh, and this has some light spoilers. So, if you're genuinely interested in the story of 80 for Brady, then wow. maybe don't listen to this. But I can't imagine who would that be? Why anyone yeah. would care what the plot of this movie is. Lindsay's shutting it off right now. Well, it, it all takes place yeah. 
leading up to the big Super Bowl. The comeback one, right? The Patriots and the Falcons. Yeah, yeah. And there's like all kinds of misadventures getting to the game and counterfeit tickets and Guy Fieri and all kinds of crazy shit. It all is... It's it's all sort of predicated upon Lily Tomlin's character maybe dying, although I think ultimately she doesn't. Although I can't even remember. But it's a secret that she may like her cancer may have come back and she's sort of putting off getting the news so she doesn't even know for sure yeah but she kind of keeps that a secret so the other three aren't even really treating the trip the same way with like as much gravitas right kind of like well who cares if we don't you know whatever but she's like no we have to do this we have to do this and then the patriots famously are down 28-3 at halftime and would you believe that it takes a pep talk from these from ladies? Our ladies where they crash the fucking coordinator's booth in the stadium <laughs> so they can talk directly into Tom Brady's helmet yeah, and give him the pep, pep talk he needs. That's amazing. I was screaming at this. <laughs> I could not believe that this is where this was going. <laughs> An awful movie. Yeah, yeah. At one point, I thought we'd try to see this and do like a give us a second on it just because it seemed like yeah that type of insanity. The moment definitely passed. Yeah, yeah. I know, I saw it sitting up on Paramount Plus, and Lindsay and I were both like, all right, we need to watch this, but it didn't feel like the right moment. I don't know if there's ever a right, right. moment for this movie. <laughs> it stars Rita Moreno, Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, and Sally Field. I believe Rita Moreno's in her 90s. Tomlin and Fonda are both in their 80s. Sally Field, I think, is in her 70s. I only point that out because they make a big deal about it in the movie, whereas Sally Field constantly has to keep saying that she's not in her 80s great but <laughs> i don't really know what else to say about it it's it's a weird movie that so bizarre that i'm it not exists. sure who it's for yeah because 90 percent of it is these four older actresses so you're thinking okay so like older women but i don't know that a lot of older women are gonna care about this and they're not they- definitely not gonna be like invested in the football element of it I'm sure yeah. there are some older women who would be. I'm not, I hate to be generalizing like that, but you know what I mean. This is not a four-quadrant movie. This is not even a one-quadrant movie. So the fact that this got a theatrical release is nuts. Yeah, so Wikipedia has the budget at $28 million and box office at $39.7 million. I, That's stunning to me. I, I wouldn't it, have thought that it was that high. Yeah. That's definitely still a loss. For sure, yeah. In, until it makes its money back by being licensed out to TV and various rentals and whatnot. But I don't know what to say. It's on Paramount+. Plus. I feel like people should check it out. I don't think you'll like it. (laughs) I'm not saying you will. (laughs) But I did watch the entire thing and was sort of blown away at various points that this was a thing that exists. Right. (laughs) You kind of wish that these ladies had more in their careers because we know how tough it is for women. Women half their ages, it's tough for in Mm -hmm. Hollywood, let alone women their ages, to get parts, to get anything going. So, of course, they're all going to do it. But at the same time, you wish that they didn't have to and that they would be embarrassed to say these things Mm -hmm. because sometimes it did feel like they were. The way that (laughs) Lily Tomlin says Super Bowl and talks about Super Bowl, you're kind of just like, this feels like she's doing this at gunpoint. Well, it's like they have to know this is terrible. Oh, yeah, they definitely know it's shit, but they're getting a paycheck, and how many of them are going to be in theatrical releases in a given year? So, obviously, it was something, but yeah, bizarre. 
That's totally. all I can say about 80 for Brady. Totally bizarre. Well, I can remember like being aware of it being in production and you're like who is this for yeah it seemed like a joke when those news stories first came out like a year or two ago Oof. okay so check out the dark knight returns not to be confused with rises parts one and two animated on hbo max check out 80 for brady if you dare on paramount plus and as i said you can watch akira either with subtitles or with english dubs on hulu thank you so much to theodore for the listener request we appreciate the support it's always great to interact via the dms on twitter and everything else so thanks to him if you would like to reach us at greatest pod on twitter greatestpod at gmail.com we will read your email on the show so it doesn't necessarily have to be anything specific it can be any kind of questions comments concerns if you have any questions pertaining to Matt and I's life, we'll get oddly <laughs> uncomfortably personal if you want. I don't think there's a huge demand. Well, that's for the thing. That. I didn't think anybody would be interested in eighty for Brady, and I was wrong about that. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll talk about how great we are and how handsome we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I may edit your email a little bit to make it sound better for us. But yeah, <laughs> that's just you know that's part of the business. Anyway. Please subscribe to the program on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Wherever you find us, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. It's so great. Anytime a new one pops up, it's a lot of fun. And we appreciate the small things. If you'd like to give us a tip, rather than buy a listener request, you can do that on Twitter through our tip jar. It connects through Cash App. It's very simple. And find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby on there. Be a part of that action. Absolutely. And we got another episode coming later this week. I'm not entirely sure how the days are all going to play out, but there should be two this week and then another one midweek next week. So three total episodes in a short amount of time. It's a big, big busy season for us out of nowhere. All year long seems yeah could be this year we're gonna try to do a hundred movies in october (laughs) hundred horror movies that's right yeah all right folks thanks for listening and we will talk to you soon
I please my man in every way. If he's at the dentist, I make him nut. If he's at J. Crew returning a sweater, he's nutting. If he's trying on another sweater, he's getting a nut. If he exchanged that old sweater for the new sweater, he's nutting. It's like trail mix because his day mostly contains nuts and his balls look like raisins. If he's at his aunt's funeral, he's getting two nuts. One at the open casket, one when they're lowering her into the grave. While he's nutting, I'm thinking about the next nut. I'm like a squirrel. I'm planting nuts all over this place. If he's at Target picking out curtains, I'm like, come on, babe, you're getting a nut. At the end of the day, I roll his up like a tube of toothpaste to make sure there's no nuts left. He's at our kid's parent teacher conference. He's getting a nut. I'll make him nut while he's nutting. That's the secret. I make my man nut 27 times a day.